one. Live to digital tape. I don't even know if it's tape. Live to digital something. However, it's recorded. It's another episode of Swing Thoughts. Of course, I'm golf spiritual leader. Just ask me. Although I do feel very spiritual about my golf lately. Along with uh, Coach Tim, colleague and friend of many years. Uh, now going on to, I don't even know what, uh, is this a year or eight or nine? But hey, we're here. Well, it's year eight of doing this podcast, but I think it's year nine of our dear friendship. Yeah. I had a conversation on uh, the Humble and Fred show recently with a buddy of mine who uh, is a drummer and used to be the drummer for Our Lady Peace. And he's been uh, doing a podcast with a, a television personality named Jonathan Torrens. He's one of those guys you see on a lot of shows from the East Coast. And uh, we're talking about how long we've been doing a podcast. He started his in 2014, which is very unusual. Humble and Fred started in 2011. You and I started eight years ago. The point being, most people don't get past like the fourth podcast. Because invariably, (laughs) they try it for a while and they're like, well, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. And not you and I, we just keep pushing on. Well, you're a plus handicap broadcaster. Well, Riding your you. coattails. I appreciate you, my friend. And of course, we appreciate the uh, support of our sponsors. Um, it's not, I was going to say, we couldn't do it without them. The fact is, we would do this anyway. We were doing it anyway. We, we just, we're like, what are we going to do? Not, what are we not going to talk about golf with each other every week? I would be sad. Uh, but I'm going to mention TaylorMade Golf Canada, and you had a TaylorMade uh, tidbit for me. Well, um, I played my club C on the weekend. I had to play from the golds. We can get into this a little bit later. Holy cow. That stuff too, man. I was frankly shocked how far that thing was going. It, it was probably my best driving, um, uh, segment of the year. Yeah. How I was hitting it. I was sitting out there with the kids. So it was, well, really I, nice. I'm not surprised you're a very strong man. Um, TaylorMade Stealth 2 is what Tim's talking about. We both play it. The all-new TaylorMade Stealth 2, Stealth 2 Plus, Stealth 2 HD Carbon Woods. They're designed with more carbon, and as uh, Colin Morikawa says, more forgiveness. And you can learn more, far more, at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Timothy? The site that just keeps giving. Yes, well, uh, it does. So <laughs> I, it definitely does keep giving. There you go. I did have an interesting chat with a fellow on uh, the weekend after our Club C, and he's a very good player, but he doesn't have confidence in the big-headed drivers. It just looks too weird for him. Yeah, yeah. So I suggested he check out the uh, burner drive, the mini driver, which is 304 cubic centimeters versus, versus 460 of the conventional big ones. So, you know, I'm just thinking that for uh, some of our listeners who may struggle with the driver off the tee, they they check out the uh, the TaylorMade Mini Burner Driver. And we also, of course, recommend Oscar Bravo, the shirt you're wearing, and uh, splendidly. That's, you know, it's funny. I've, we've got, not funny. Is it interesting? I don't know. It's curious, that one, that color you're wearing, and I don't even know what color it is. <laughs> and neither do I. Thank yeah. you. We, but it's, it's, um, it's one of the ones that I, I don't put in rotation as much. But now that I see it on you, it looks great. 
Well, thanks. Well, I just have it because I think it goes with the gray shorts. <laughs> ah, maybe. We'll see what kind of reception it gets when I go to Blue Springs this afternoon. <laughs> and what about Oscar Bravo, young man? Well, they are made of fine Italian fabric. It is the most amazing polo you would ever wear. It just feels so good on your skin. Uh, wicks moisture, all that good stuff. And it has design features that you won't find anywhere else, such as the collar, the placket. There's a little thingy on the side that they just, it just these features you won't find anywhere. <laughs> That's right. And you definitely won't find anyone at your club wearing this shirt. Yeah. When you say so the little out- thing, the little thingy on the side, you can tell that Tim and I uh, are not the, uh, you know, the pantheons of high fashion. Exactly. Fashionistas, we yeah. ain't. But yeah. check out who is OscarBravo.com. And, of course, uh, StretchLabToronto.com, if you're looking to uh, get some of those aches and pains taken care of, improve sports performance, increase range and mobility, and motion, reduce muscle and joint pain, improve your posture, check it out at StretchLab.com. Right now, for $59, get a 50-minute stretch and an assessment definitely for your golf game. It's good to check this uh, out once in a while, for sure, at StretchLab.com. So you and I haven't recorded in uh, a couple weeks. And uh, Paul Doolin is going to uh, make uh, an appearance with us uh, back on the program in about 20 minutes, is 20-ish minutes or so. So we've got some time to catch everyone up and catch each other up. So you tell me your club championship experience. First of all, let me ask you some questions. Because I played mine, as I have uh, year after year. And uh, year after year, the back tees get further away. So what is the um, what are the back tees that you or what is the, the length of the course? You guys, the kids will play at Blue Springs. Uh, Sixty seven, give or take a few. OK, well, and continue. I usually play blues. Right. Blue Springs, which is more about 64, uh, 60, yeah, yeah. 63, five or 64 ish. And uh, tell us about your experience and then I'll tell you about mine, which was the weekend before. Okay. Um, yeah, last year I played in the um, the A flight, and mm-hmm. but this year my handicap got index went uh, low, and so I found myself playing with the kids from the golds. And I'll tell you, I was I'd only played the golds from holes one to twelve this year. That's it. I hadn't played a full round, and uh, I didn't know how it would go from particularly 14, which is about 465, and often into a headwind, Mm -hmm. and 15, in which you've got to carry it to carry the gunch and the gorge and all all that stuff, uh, about 220 off the tee, and and, uh, depending on what the wind goes. So, I didn't really know what was going to go on, and I kind of had a sense of acceptance of, you know, what would ever happen. But I was really delightfully surprised to find, as I was saying, you know, at the opening of the show, we're talking about TaylorMade, is that it really didn't matter at all. I was bashing out there uh, with everyone else. Um, and so the distance from the goals really didn't make a difference at all. So that was the first real surprise. Um First round was interesting is that uh putted terribly. Oh my gosh, I had about five putts that just, you know, died right, you know, going in, into the jaws and just came up short. And uh, as you know from playing with me, that has sometimes been uh, well, it it can be an issue from time to time. So, you know, I just went out sa- uh Sunday, no, it was Saturday morning it was the second round, and I just went, you know, just 
just hit the damn ball just a little bit more on instinct like i talked before and i putted really really well um <laughs> but uh i did i did that thing i had my disaster my disaster hole which happens to everybody in the club mm-hmm. see um on of course the 18th hole in front of about mm, you know, fifteen people. I I four putted. Um, I had one of those those. You know, you miss this the second putt. It goes about eighteen inches. <laughs> no. and, uh, a little myth didn't mark, and of course missed it. So, is there a cut at your course, uh, or the you just no, play all three rounds? Okay, well, you just play all three rounds. Yeah. And so, anyways, um, yeah, I you know due to not putting very well and the, that lack of confidence seeped in the rest of my game. I didn't. Uh, I, sh- I shot eighty five on the opening round, which kind of put me out of it. But I never was going to be in it playing against, you know, guys who are like 30 and 40 years younger than me. Yeah. But uh, anyways, it was uh, a lot of fun, and I came away with it feeling really confident about my game and my ball striking and uh, and uh, and particularly my putting. It just really felt good. So, yeah, it was in a, I managed to get second low net. <laughs> well, that is something. Get me some. I guess me some some golf shop merch. Well, yeah, it's always nice to get something. Yeah. Um, uh, you, is, sir. Well, I, yeah. I, I mean, mine's a little bit more. Um, I've got a couple of different layers that uh, have, have occurred to me. I don't know where to start. Um, Beginnings. Good. The last, uh, I would say, the last six or seven weeks. You know, basically since the end of uh, June, you know, I've worked pretty hard to try and reconfigure my golf hard drive and reprioritize. And I've talked a little bit about it on the show to reprioritize what I want out of the experience. You know, I've spent so much time being like golf, serious golfer guy and, you know, playing tournament golf and always being in a tournament frame of mind, whatever that is. That I, I sometimes, you know, and, I, and I, a lot of this is stuff that we've talked about, but definitely help, um, you know, with Ray and, and definitely a lot of self-examination about if I'm only if I've only got this many days left to play golf, some of them that I've been having that are miserable. I, I just don't want any part of it anymore. So my personal misery par uh, has been um, is what I've worked on more than my actual game. The personal in, misery that's right part. you know what i mean a lot of people like well what it would be i just made that up but it's true for a lot of us where you know if we shoot whatever number say 85 we feel okay if we shoot 92 we feel like shit whatever mm-hmm. that number is whatever your misery par is but i um somewhere in early july um as i started to climb out of this golf abyss again in this particular time out what I've sort of cottoned on to is that um, making myself, making enjoying my day the priority versus making my shooting the low score the priority has produced way more days where I'm not miserable after the round. In fact, I haven't been miserable after any round for quite some time, no matter what I shoot. So that's kind of the, I wanted to set that as a foundation for my experience in the club championship and my experience in general, the last five or six weeks for sure is completely different. I was talking to my buddy Grant yesterday and I said, you know, I have not enjoyed golf the way that I'm enjoying it now for, I, I don't, rem, I don't remember a stretch of this. And yes, I'm playing a little bit better. 
but not all the time. Like, mm. I've had some rounds that, you know, I shot 82 uh, a week ago in amongst a, a flurry of rounds between 72 and 75. Like, I just was tired. It was the first round after the club championship, and I was just beat. Mm-hmm. And I left that day. That day, I had such a great time, you would not have known what I was shooting. Where prior to that, my misery par would have, wouldn't have allowed me to enjoy that day. Are you with me so far? Oh, yeah. Loving it. So, and and another thing that I've not ever really been able to do, except with certain people, like I play with you, we have a good time, we laugh. I play with my buddy Kent, we have a good time, I laugh. And there's a few people like that. But in general, my demeanor isn't one of a lot of jocularity. You know what I mean? I've noticed that about myself because I'm serious about the game. And, and I'm still serious about shots I'm going to hit. But here's a perfect example. So we're playing the club championship on my course. And there is a cut. <clears throat> excuse me. And it's long. Like, it's 69.50. Ooh. And uh, two of the three days, it was wet. So it's playing like 7,000. And I wasn't. I wasn't. I was hitting it. I've been hitting it as good as I can hit a golf ball. But I was still hitting hybrid into some of the par fours. Um, so the first day, I shoot 79. I felt like I played better than I scored, but I bogeyed uh, the last two holes of each nine, eight and nine and 17 and 18. So here's the point I'm going to get to. On the second day, we we all started at early the first day, late the second day, and now it's three o'clock in the afternoon. There's a bunch of people watching us tee off. And there's the two guys I played with who were like 30 and 20, 35 from the day before. And you know how they go through the, okay, welcome to day two. And they're giving you all the local rules and they're doing their spiel. And uh, in front of all I these. I know, this, I know this is leading us. Yeah. So in front of all these people, this is the difference between uh, new GSL and old uh, serious GSL. So while, and, and we're just waiting for the fairway to clear. And we're about to hit our tee shots. And uh, I stopped them in the middle of their, their talk about, you know, today's rules, the local rules, whatever. I said, I just want you guys to know. <laughs> I said, no matter what you're saying, no matter what happens today, this round I'm playing is under protest. And they're like, what? I said, I'm playing this round under protest. It's three in the afternoon. Grandpa eats dinner at 430. I go to bed at seven. This is total bullshit. I'm protesting. And they've started laughing. But it's the kind of thing I never would have thought to say in that moment, you know, where you're about to launch yeah. into a tournament round. And that sort of set... That kind of gives you a, uh, um, a sense of how I've been, where I'm, and the irony is, well, I don't know if it's irony, because I'm actually in the moment that we're in, which is having fun, noticing that, you know, again, I'm the oldest guy, but I was the, I was the same age as the two kids I played with combined. So, and the two pros that were telling, everyone cracked up, and um, every time I saw them for the next 36 holes, because I play, I did make the cut. Nice. Every time I'd see them, they'd say, how you playing? I'd say, good, but it doesn't matter. I've written letters to the committee. I don't know what the fuck I was saying. Committee, <laughs> I'm writing letters to your bosses. You can't start me at 3 o'clock and expect, you know. And anyway, it was a really fun little thing. And again, the, the byproduct was, you know, I, I played pretty well. I shot uh, three rounds in the 70s. Nice. I was uh, the oldest guy that made the cut. I finished seventh. You know, a, a decent showing. Yeah. I, um... You know, I made a triple bogey at the beginning of one of the rounds and then played the rest of the round 
two over par. So, you know, I had a four putt. I had a couple of three putts that round. But through it all, that was my overriding takeaway that making make making having actual fun sounds crazy the priority has made the experience better i'll be taking questions now not surprised at all i mean i've been saying this for as long as we've been doing this podcast that golf is it's a mixture of things if it's all about score if that's the primary thing then i think you're in tough to play well and to come out of it and thoroughly get what you can from from this game. And I've always thought that if you have fun, that's why I always say, you know, on the range, you know, when you go play in a club season, they play well. I always say have fun because I, I, I believe with all my heart that if you have fun and you keep that as kind of the overall intent, I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to enjoy the, the people I'm playing with, I'm enjoy the day, the course. Yeah, if I make some bad swings, I'm, it's going to suck, but I'll get over it. Then you have more fun, and the bonus of it is you generally play better. Yeah, I've been saying that to people every round of golf my whole life. Okay, let's play well, have fun, but but just saying it is lip service, and actually, you know, making it's not even having fun because it seems like there's more to it. What and, and I'm doing it selfishly. I'm I'm making my enjoyment of the day, which is more enjoyable for the people around me. Like I played with a kid in one of the rounds. I think it was the first round, and uh, he didn't talk to us the entire last uh, nine holes. Mm. He was not having fun, and I and I have empathy for that guy because I've seen it. Yeah. I've done it. Literally, oh, heck, he, I got my hand up. Yeah, <laughs> he uh, played the first eight holes like even par ish. Then he had like a double and then another double and then a bogey. And then he didn't, about the 11th hole to the shaking of the hands, he never spoke. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and wouldn't you know, he didn't play that well. Now we've all, we've, listen, we've all evolved past that, but I, I'm doing, again, I'm doing it selfishly because I just have no more patience for myself. Um, again, a lot of work I did with Ray. I, I've tried to uncouple myself this you know goofy idiot from my mastery from my craft i'm pretty good at this you know i'm i played really well um you know i shot 79 77 77 from nearly 7100 yards and i played you know pretty well but even when i wasn't playing well the triple the four putts the three putts i had it just wasn't sticking to me because i just don't have time for it anymore yeah, well, you've done some good good work on this, and, and and you know you went you know as the word you used abyss because you know other words phrases we've used in the past golf hell etc. Uh, Roman Catholics would say purgatory. There you go. Um, but it takes going down <laughs> to come back up. It really does. And I'm glad that made you laugh. It does. Just that, you know, the little fantasy world of all of that makes me laugh. Is that, is that near uh, Hogwarts? Is that near Hogwarts? I'm sorry. I think it's near Bob Cajun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but listen, I'll tell you, you, I've told you this last time we were together, but you really inspired me at Saugeen. And, uh, you know, I'll quickly update you. I've got a small Sunday bag from the, the sweet people at Jones, and it says GSL on it. It's very cool. I've now played five rounds. So outside of the club championship, I've played every round 
for like the last week and a half with six irons, a driver, a hybrid, and a putter carrying my clubs. It's the greatest thing ever. Absolutely it is. I shot 75 on Saturday without a six iron. <laughs> you know what I mean? No three wood. Yeah, I know exactly what you it's I the took best. The six out of my bag, too. I did. So I I, took- what, what, what's in, like, when you do the half bag, what's in your bag? Uh, driver, five wood, five iron, seven iron, eight iron, nine iron, wedge, 54 putter. That's nine clubs. So I'm, I'm sorry, I just turned my phone off. Say it again. Five iron? Uh, driver, five wood, uh, five iron, seven iron, eight iron, nine iron, uh, wedge, uh, 54 putter. Okay. So I'm nine similar. Clubs. I'm driver hybrid. Five seven nine, and here was my logic. I go pitching wedge, fifty four fifty eight, and the reason is I thought okay, as I get closer to the green, I want more choice, so I've got an extra wedge in there. I've got my fifty eight and my fifty four, but I've hit some shots. I was saying this to my buddy yesterday too. I had some shots on Saturday in our little game. This was for real. Like we're playing. This is the forty guys. Hand your card in. No gimme game. Like it's a real game. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of shots where. I had to manufacture, like, I took a 9-iron, turned it into an 8-iron, I hooded it, I, I put it way back in my stance, and I hooked it. It was one of my most satisfying shots of this Absolutely. whole year. But what it does, and there's a phrase for it, he had, I can't remember, but it's something about disruption. Playing the back tees for you and I, which we don't play there all the time, is also a form of disruption. Because you're yep. not pulling the same clubs that you would. Same with the Sunday bag. Like I'm going out today again, and I'm I yesterday I last time I played with some with some clients, so I had my full bag because we were going to be on a cart, and as you know, those bags aren't great on carts. But I'm going to play men's night today with those clubs again because I just like it. Oh yeah, I, absolutely. But I think what I've been coming to understand in the last month or so is that when we make golf more about intent. We make it about hitting shots rather than trying to make a golf swing. Absolutely. I just, I just find when we, we input that kind of data, here's what I want. I want it I want it to go this far off the ground. I want it this shape. I want to land it here in front of the green. I want to see it in my mind's eye trickle up to the hole. That's when I hit golf shots. And I just find that when you're playing with that um, reduced number of clubs and you've got to manufacture shots – it's just the game is more fun and more satisfying, and I just find I hit the ball better. And, and just yeah. as the, the last piece, um, I love hitting shorter uh, – I, I love taking a wedge and trying to hit it only, say, like 90 yards or something. Mm-hmm. It's satisfying. Of those two, you know, I, I, again, I, it's what I just said as well. Like I find that when you don't automatically like, – you know, there's lots of times where we have our full set of clubs – you know, whatever your eight iron number is, when you get that number, you just pull the eight iron and hit it. But if you have to think of it, like I don't have an eight iron in my bag when I'm when I'm doing this. This is five times now, and you know, I'm I'm basically shooting pretty close to what I would normally shoot. Like with my full set of clubs the other day, I shot seventy four. One one stroke lower, and it wasn't because it was just because I sank an extra putt. It wasn't because I had my four iron. And the other day I didn't. But what I love about it is it doesn't make the shot selection automatic, right? You know, and and what and again, I you know, at this time of the year, like I've got 
I've got seven tournaments in September. I get a lot of tournament golf. But right now, I'm playing my own course a lot, and it's a, it's a little bit boring. You know, well, you got to come and play Blue Springs. And I love Blue go Springs. On a little, we got to go do a little golf trip to Heron Point or something. We should because playing. But anyway, my point about your own course is mm-hmm. because at this time of the year, we're now we've all played our home course quite a bit. It gives you a chance to play your home course in a different way. Yep. Um, the last thing I'm going to do before the season's over, I'm going to go play the Reds. I'm ah, going to go play the it. front front tees. Just for the, because I've played the back tees a lot. I just want to see what, what the golf course is like when I'm there, when I can hit every par five and two, um, as opposed to the back tees, where some of those par fours, I played them like par fives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had to, interesting enough, you mentioned it. So uh, Monday, uh, because it was the deadline for this bracket of match, I had to play uh, my net um, match play match on Monday, which I had to play from the whites. And a couple times I hit driver where I didn't need to and um, ended up being blocked out and that kind of stuff. But playing more forward tees is an excellent exercise in course management and Mm -hmm. taking your way around. But I just want to, maybe I'm overplaying this, but I really do believe that we play better golf when we have a, a definite intent for a shot, yes. Rather than, rather you said it's just okay. You know, I hit my my eight iron, you know, one hundred and fifty or one hundred and fifty five or something, and just pull it and swing. I, I don't think that's an that's enough to go on to to bring out our best and draw on our skill and our talent and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I really have found that the more I drill down, the more I play um, instinctively and I'm just this amazing computer that's somehow been gifted to me it, it I'm allowed to access it and it just works a lot better. You know, the final thing I'll say is uh, one of the, I mean, my last session with uh, Dr. Pryor, we talked a lot about uh, acceptance and, and, and especially when it comes to putting and, you know, I hit several shots, you know I was going to use the word under pressure, but I, the, way, the phrase he uses I like better is when our, when our brains know the score matters. Mm-hmm. And outside of, you know, the round I played on Monday with this client and uh, Fred, like the score didn't matter. I know that and my brain knows that. But a lot of most of the rounds I play and, and, and you as well, where a score where there's some where there is an outcome that we're trying to achieve. And um, I hit several shots in the club championship and several lately where I've said sort of myself, okay, are you comfortable with where this could go? And on the 53rd hole of the club championship, I was long par four and it was into the wind. It was wet and I had a hybrid. I had like 210 yards to the green and it was sitting down the rough. And I actually said to myself, like this could be it. Like it's it's one of those situations where you're either gonna I, I either gonna have a chance at four or I could make six. And I said to myself, "Are you okay with that?" And I was like, "Yep." Then then hit it. Then just hit it. And there was a freedom to it that because I was completely I, I I was really clear that I could make six here because there's a hazard in front of me. But I was like, there's something about the freedom of it. And I made a, a really good swing. I hit it over this thing into a bunker, got up and down, made par. But it nice. was but it was okay with me because at that point I was going to finish seventh anyway. 
It wasn't like I was going to finish first or second. I was going to be in the sixth or seventh or eighth. Already, I accomplished my goals. So I said, screw it. I'll just hit it. And that kind of feeling, the more I get in tune with that, the better outcomes I have. And by the way, that includes putting. Mm-hmm. It, it really, as he says, as we get closer to the green, the make-miss thing becomes yeah. a much bigger issue, which is why sometimes we, and I know everyone will relate to this, while well, we'll sort of like flub a putt, not stub it, where you, you hit it like it's a longer putt, and you know, oh, shoot, I, I didn't quite hit the face of the club there. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Well, you know what? I just wanted to relate. I think it's in this in the same territory. Um, you know, can I be okay whatever happens? Uh, so I came to the last hole of my club C. I'm, I'm driving the ball really great all day, but historically on eight, dogleg right, I would play a fade and, and or even hit a three wood. Um, but I went, screw this shit. <laughs> I'm taking this direct line over the trees and i'm just gonna blast it nice and i was really pleased that i did and i did exactly that and i left i went i've never hit a nine iron into the 18th green and that was from the freaking golds mm-hmm. so i was proud of that so i think yeah i think we're making progress here sir <laughs> and our buddy uh dooley Do- doodles doodles dr doodles dr dr doodles little I'll invite him in. Yeah, do that. There, there he is. Why, there he is, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. There he is. Dr. In Doodles. All his, in all of his glory. Let me just see if I can hang on. Just make this <laughs> up your mic. Is that better? No, you sound That's, great. Yeah, you sound fine. And you're looking resplendent in your white tailor-made hat. Oof. Look at me. Good sponsor um, relations there. Yes, yeah. we all share the uh, the same sponsor. For many years, uh, this gentleman has been helping people on uh, professional tours uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. He is um, also available for uh, private coaching. Uh, you know, you don't have to be a tour player to work with Paul. Over 25 years in performance coaching and um, is a complete and utter beauty and friend of this program. Uh, recently, I was... <laughs> Recently, I was on Paul's website, and uh, as I am now, and I filled out the um, the information uh, for a session. <laughs> oh, and, did you uh, have some fun? Did you have some? Fun? I just wanted to. I was just testing out the mechanism to see how fast Paul would respond. Say, I was a person that wanted a a Doolin session. I said, uh, "Dear Mister Doolin, I was thinking of using your services. Just one question: Do you serve snacks during these sessions, or will I have to supply my own? Also, if you are serving food, I should let you know I'm not a big fan of lentils. I do enjoy orange slices, though." <laughs> and Paulie got back to me, noted, no oranges. Oh, see, you screwed it up. I don't why I do I like oranges. Anyway, uh he's no, a, I'm saying I'm not gonna give you oranges and Oh because I oh, okay, I see. But they make your hands sticky. They're good. They you know you, it makes you hang on to the club better. It just gives you an idea what kind of person this man is. He will <laughs> go above and beyond I had a, a friend uh, of mine who has started working with Paul, and uh, he got to Paul, I wouldn't say his name, but he got to Paul through another couple of friends of mine, and when he found out that Paul was not only my friend, but someone that, uh, whose services I've used, he like, he's like, wait a second, this is Howard's mental coach? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. Look, you know. 
But he, notice that your name is in, in my uh, in my uh, website. For, no, I noticed uh, that testimonials. No, I know, but I would gladly like give a, you one. Is that like the Groucho Marx thing? I wouldn't be a member of a club that would have someone like me as a member. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Doodles. Um, always a pleasure catching up with you. I can't remember. I, it's been a while since we've had you on the show officially, although you and I have talked recently. Uh, in Orlando, Florida, um, and uh, a Canadian, and uh, and a wonderful person. What's uh, what's going on for you? You okay? Yeah, good. Good. Very good. Um same old. I mean, every time I talk to you guys, it's like, so what's going on? It's like pretty much the same. Um, just same stuff, different day, as the as the phrase goes. Right. I guess I can say shit on podcasts. Yeah, you go on this one for sure. Tim you just say the f word. Tim just said shit. Well, he's so, gonna, yeah, Tim, you've started. You've yes, started so, using the F-bomb. Yeah. congratulations. Know, well, eight Welcome years in corruption. Yeah. Eight years in, I finally relaxed. Every time, sw- every I'm time, losing my grip. Yeah, every time Tim says "fuck," an angel loses its wings. <laughs> so here's a question I've wanted to because I, I um I know you're gonna you'd be sad, but I've been uh you know working with somebody else a little bit this summer who famously will not reveal speaking of endorsements, never reveals the people he's working with. Now, other than a couple of names you've thrown out, what's your policy on that? I try not to. Um Number one, I just, the whole name drop thing just kind of makes me a little squeamish. Like I see, you know, people post on, you know, fine for them. But, you know, when people post things on social media, if they're a coach, it's like, congratulations to my player on, you know, winning this. Or it just, it just, it's just kind of douchey, I guess. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like it. And that's, you know, I'm not putting down the people that do it. For me, it doesn't work. Uh, and and also for um, just respecting other people's yeah. privacy, if they want to talk about me, great. But you know, I won't. You know, in private conversations, once in a while, I'll mention people's names. But in general, I don't broadcast it just because it's you know sometimes it's they don't want people knowing that they're working with a player like or a coach like me. So I just kind of made it a policy that it's like I don't care who it is, I'll just kind of shut up about it. Yeah. Well, I think another word for douchey would be. To say congrats to my player is in essence self-serving. It's yeah, like, aren't I great as a coach? Because look what happened. But I have the sim- I have a similar policy as a coach. Uh, I never tell anybody who I'm working with. Um, and we, to me, because the core thing I want to create is is a relationship of trust and complete confidentiality. That yeah. when we come together, we drop into kind of what I call a container where everything said stays there. And that to me is the core of any coaching relationship is that you have a complete trust in each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's huge for sure. And, and, you know, I was talking to Paul the last time we talked and I said, you know, where's anybody like kind of, well then where does new business comes? Where does new business come from? For someone in your space, and uh, you, Ted, you told me that a lot of it's just word of mouth from other players. Yeah, it is. I, right. I very fortunate that way that it just kind of happens that people talk, and that's. But that's the way any tur- I think at most personal services, like you know, doctors, lawyers, whatever it is, people don't like go online and it's like, hey, let's see who's the best website. They're like, who do I know that uses this, and you know, what kind of experience have they had? So I, I don't think that's just, you know, limited to, you know, um, anybody, but 
in, in, in any profession, but at personal services, I think that's the way it goes. Just like, you know, people, you know, I go on Yelp and look at restaurant referrals and that's sometimes you have to rely on that. But most of the time it's like, hey, have you ever eaten there? I'll ask other people who mm-hmm. have similar tastes. Oh, yeah. Referrals are big. Hey, Paul, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, just Howard and I are having a, struck me as an interesting conversation, about the idea of playing with, say, a sense of intent, uh, hitting a golf shot versus, say, you know, you get the range finder, it says 155, and you pull out an eight and just swing. When you're working with players, how do you approach that in terms of the whole create shots versus play golf swing thing? I know that's it's kind of a core fundamental of, of performance coaching, but what's your thought on that idea of going through a process of, okay, I'm going to hit this shape, it's going to have this trajectory, this far going to land here. Do you see, what value do you see in that? I've I've come to think of it like it depends on the phase of development the person's at with their technical abilities if someone's brand new into like two weeks they're working on a swing it's like they're probably going to have to focus on you know what they're doing technically both in in their rehearsals and maybe even over the ball depending on that person um but as it as it transfers more deeply into a more call it athletic or unconscious level then you can get more into target orientation and shot shaping or Whatever it is that people orient themselves to. Some people are, you know, I had one college player that was really having a tough time with ball striking, but was good technically. And it ended up that, you know, they were they were focused on shot shaping versus just seeing a landing spot. And as soon as they got the landing spot, uh, they connected up for them. They started playing great. Mm-hmm. So everyone's a little different with yeah. what their orientation needs to be. So it's kind of there's 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 no one size fits all thing that way. But in general. Like some people are not target oriented at, well, at, at all. They're just, you know, swing oriented and they just play, pay attention to the body feels or the club feels. Some people are all target. So kind of got to go with what works. I was at a tournament uh, not that long ago where your name came up and uh, it was your this guy that who's your new client. And then a couple people were listening to the conversation and someone kind of asked me, like, what is like what kind of things does do you talk about with a performance coach in particular you and i thought that would be a good question you know it's you've been on the show so many times we just assume people know what you do but how would you sum up what kind of service you provide besides snacks (laughs) (laughs) um god i mean you know i'm so immersed in doing it sometimes i kind of I, 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 I struggle to be able to describe it. Um, I, I mean, you've heard me say this before. Um, I, I use kind of a metaphor for it that if you're walking on a two by four on the ground, it's pretty easy. But if you put it 50 feet in the air, same piece of wood, there's a completely different experience of, of the attempt to walk along it. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the, on, the, in, on the ground, we have full access to our skills. Uh, 50 feet in the air, we depending on how we're handling that, we have limited access to our skills. And so um, if a lot of people complain about being able to transfer, you know, their game from the range to the course, or I can play good with my buddies, but not in a club championship or in a tournament. Uh, So different situations um, present different states in the shift that, uh, sorry, shifts in the state people are in 
and that either limits or opens up the amount of access they have to their skill. Well, maybe that's a, f- a better that's, question that's, to you ask know, you. You can use it for public speaking. Yeah. You which, know, which we have. Well, maybe that's a better question to ask you, as opposed to like, give me the overview of your body of work. So knowing you um, and how you uh, work with people trying to. So how would you tell um, somebody, here's some of the things I think help us access our skill set when score matters? Uh, OK. This this will be an interesting one. I don't think we. I, I was thinking about this today. I've been on a lot and it's like I try to. I'm hoping to give somebody, you know, your audience something different every time because this could get pretty damn repetitive. Um, one one of the things I think that's really important. So the equivalent of the 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 two by four being hoisted fifty feet in the air uh, is the the statement. So I use this this little phrase, and that means those are the three evil words in golf. Mm-hmm. So um, I have a. You know, a 10-footer, 10-foot putt. And if I sink this, that means I win the club championship. And that means that I'm finally going to break the back of my streak of not being able to win a tournament. And that means I'll be happy with myself when I go home. And that means whatever. So we start to attach all of this other stuff to a task. So I could get on this podcast and say, oh, well, I'm going to talk to my two friends about the, the shit we always talk about. Uh, and we're going to be on, on on the air. So that means that, you know, people might want to work with me, and that means that I could uh, get more business, and that, but, but boy, I could get a tour player. And it's like, I'm just going to talk to my friends, mm. and, and wherever that goes is where it goes. And I'm going to try and, you know, do the best job I can to explain, you know, whatever whatever I'm asked to explain. If I turn it into anything else, then, then I'm doing myself a disservice because I'm just going to get so paranoid about myself. And so at the end of the day, I think that, if, if people want to um, have, have a look at the big picture, it's self-concern. I'm concerned about me. What's going to happen to me? And our brain translates that in quite often, translates that into, uh, well, we have, a, a, you guys probably talk about fight or flight all the time on, mm. this, on this show. Your brain doesn't know the difference between a threat to your ego or yourself and a threat to your body. So the same shit turns on. So it's like I'm going to be sweating over a 10-footer in front of 10 of my best friends for club championship, whereas if I was alone on the putting green with that 10-footer, I would have a completely different experience. And it's all because I'm translating this into what it means for me. Giving it meaning where where there really is none other than the fact that you, you're about to hit a – you make a physical uh, motion. Right. And if, if we didn't have the fight-or-flight mechanism like, you know um, – was it the Galapagos Islands where they don't really have much of that? Is that is that the place where there's the animals are walking around? They've never faced a predator, so they don't they walk up to people and they're friendly and all that stuff. I can't remember where that is, but anyways, if you're if you're not if you don't have that part of your nervous system developed, then literally it's kind of like oh my friends are watching. Who cares? My uh, it's for the club. See who cares? It doesn't matter. Wouldn't have any meaning. But that's the, that's the other part. Is like. It has meaning and it's fun because it's for the club C's. So it's it's fun in a in a in a way that it doesn't get attached to my sense of self. So if I you and I if the three of us have a game of Monopoly, I want to kick your butts. And I'm gonna compete with you and it's gonna be fun if I beat you and you're gonna be like, ah damn if you, if, if I lose to you. But at the end of the day I'm gonna just, you know, walk away from the board and go home and go, that was a lot of fun. Damn, I lost. 
Whereas if my identity is attached to it, I'm the world champion Monopoly player and I play against two amateurs like I'm assuming you guys would be, then it's like, oh my God, I lost it. You guys <laughs> don't know what they're doing. And I cry in bed and all the rest of it and, you know, the stuff that we do. So it's all a construct. It's all the stuff that we create. And look, I, I work with a lot of juniors and college players that they start off golf that way. It's like, it's fun. It's cool. And then all of a sudden they start getting all this social attention and, you know, the, 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 the merit points that go with it in terms of your, you know, the status at your club, like all the older members pay attention to you because you're a good player. And um, then it's like, oh, well, I could start, you know, I, I see a lot of juniors start freaking out when the college word, college word starts get thrown around. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, my future depends on this. And my, you know, now everybody's watching and they'll know what school I go to. And also a lot of its underpinnings is, is in social stuff. So it's very, it's, it's very complex and far reaching. Everybody has different things they're concerned with, but at the end of the day, it's a construct that, you know, again, our, our fight or flight mechanism, that's great for either running from or chasing, you know, beating up a bear is getting fired off for something that has absolutely nothing to do with survival. Yeah, wow. There was man, there was a there's a ton in that, Paul. Thanks a lot. Um interesting what you're saying about um you know, what am I going to say today to my two buddies on the podcast? And I have that what I'm going to relate is you know, what do I offer as a coach to people? And, and the key thing that I try to do is just be the world's best listener. That's mm. it. And just let them come and let them empty their cup and then we're going to take a look at, at what goes on for them. And so there's no cookie cutter for anybody. There's no program that someone's going to come and they start working with me and I'm going to set them up. Here's what we're going to do, session one, session two. Because I don't know. They drive the bus. It's what they need. And then we can explore. And generally, I'm going to invite them to explore those areas where they just maybe prefer not to go, maybe into those dark corners and whatnot. That's the value that I think a coach can really um, provide. But that dark corner is often, what does my golf say about me? You know, as you said, I love the way you said, and that means, you know, if I score well, if and if I perform at a certain level in front of everyone, and that means I'm solid, or that means I suck. Um, that really is such a core piece, and that's what I think I've been wrestling with in my old game. I think Howard, uh, in his recent um, stay in what he's termed the abyss. Uh, it's been a similar thing, Howard. Howard, how about how do you relate to that in terms of what he, what Paul was saying around this sense of identification and that whole thing, and you know, and what that means, if you will, and and that means, if you will. Well, I think you're both I, you're both uh, wonderful uh, characters, and uh, you know, I've watched your broadcast, our progress grow from uh, zygote to this stage you're at now. I'm very proud of you too, and the work you're doing as broadcasters. Um, it's interesting because when it comes to broadcasting, I have no, um, I've been doing it so long that there's no, I don't have any of that in terms of like, and that means as far as what we know every day I do a show, I'm not thinking, what will this, how will I show up today? As opposed to golf, where we all worry that if we have a bad round, it might say something about us and our personalities. But Paul, what I was going to say about you is I think you, um, you're underselling the fact that you have you, you offer so much more. So let's just explore that. So somebody comes to you, you have this idea that they, they are identifying too much with 
you know, their self and their craft. What are some of the things you start with with a player to help them separate who they are from how they're playing? Two big pieces of that. Like I'd call them fundamentals. It's kind of like grip, stance, posture in the golf swing um, is attentional control. Being able to recognize that my attention is doing what it wants versus what I want it to do. That's a skill that has to be worked on and developed. Um, it's a big piece of it. Um, the other piece is understanding what we actually control. Um, a lot of times, you know, anxiety and frustration and coupled with, you know, being attached to, as you know, as Tim said, at the end, the end, and that means stuff. Um, so if, if how I feel about myself, if my self worth or my, 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 um, my, my self esteem is attached to people liking me cause I'm a good golfer. And then I attach that to something like I have to make this putt to do that. I don't control whether the putt goes in or not. And so, Anxiety, frustration, and pressure all come from attaching too much meaning to something I don't control. So anyone who has, you know, self-confidence, and, it, you know, the, that, that word is used all the time in golf. And, you know, I, I, I use it sparingly, if at all, because um, the word confidence means something I, I can be certain of. I can't be certain that this ball is going to go in the hole, whether it's going to have the ball flight I wanted to have, where it's going to go the distance or land where I want it to, or for that matter, whether or not I'm going to make the swing I intend to make. But I can control whether or not I prepare properly. So if I attach my self-confidence to what I control, then my confidence is intact no matter what, as long as I do my job. If I don't prepare properly or, you know, do do what I need to do, then, yeah, I'm, I'm going to lose confidence in myself, as I should, because I'm not reliable. If I can just interject for a second, then what that kind of confidence you're talking about, uh, this character that I've been uh, working with this summer in his book, uh, we've talked about on the show a lot, talks about that as stable confidence versus unstable confidence. And stable yeah, confidence yeah, is like stable confidence is control is in, in being invested in things you can control. Because whether you sink the putt or not, you've done everything you can, and stable confidence comes from reacting to it that way versus having so much built up into that four-footer that when it doesn't go in, which sometimes they don't, your confidence, which is very fragile or unstable, that's when you, it gets in your way for moving on from that point in the round. Yeah, for sure. So I... I you know, I, I, I call it task confidence. Um, so the fourth, you know, whether I sink a putt or not, that's a task, right? Or make a putting stroke for that matter. That's that's a task. I, I don't promote people attaching any type of confidence in that. There's there's a certain level of, of predictability given the state of your game that particular day. I guess that's a useful way to look at it, but not confidence because, again, hey, Howard, you fly an airplane. I don't. I, I, w- I would crash it in a second if I was if I was asked to do that. That doesn't have any bearing on my self-confidence. Of course. I have no no bearing on my, my sense of self whatsoever. Am I a shitty pilot? Absolutely. So when you can keep those things separate, and, you know, I have to do that in my work. It's like I have to show up with the best knowledge and as prepared as I can be for, you know, a, a discussion with a person. If, if, if I hit the button that, you know, make something work for them. And that's like, Hey, great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that worked today. Good. That was a good guess or no, it wasn't the right information, but 
I how I feel about myself. Well, I was prepared and I cared that I did the best I could for that person. So that's intact. Now, now it's like when, when you think about it, to, to expand on it, all of the stuff that we talk about with the and that mean stuff at the end of the day, because it's just golf. The only thing that's really going to happen to me is that the way I treat myself once I go home. Like if let's say I, I miss that 10 footer and my friends think I'm a loser and they make fun of me and all that stuff. At the end of the day, I'm going to go home and lie in bed and replay that event in my head, beat myself up, or I'm going to go, hmm, gave him my best. Funny to watch those guys react mm-hmm. and go to go to sleep peacefully. So it's like really at the end of the day, what it ends up being is what we're going to do to ourselves about all of this. I'm going to lie in bed or I'm going to think about this for years Funny. Yeah, it, I think at the end of it, it's how much self-flagellation are you yeah. willing to put up with because of a game? It's like one of the phrases I love from this summer's episodes is, you know, this idea that, you know, the thing you love becomes a source of your misery. Well, that was me. And that's been me at various times in golf. And and getting away from that really, for me, is the secret sauce where where you can miss a putt and go, well... You know, it was a game of golf. It was a tough putt, and it was a, it was a drag. I missed it, but I'm not going to have to drive around for an hour before I go home. Yeah, yeah. That's the end. At the end of the day, that's what we're afraid of is what we're going to do to ourselves. Exactly. Like, and that's that's within our control. And and so all of a sudden, it's like there's nothing to be afraid of that way, unless you know there's something physically dangerous, like getting hit by a ball on the course. In which case, yeah. <laughs> Tim, got, Tim got hit by a ball this summer. Oh yeah, I saw that on your uh, on your thing. Oh my god, that How's was scary. Okay, no? It's fine, it's fine. But I tell you, it was a fucking wake up call. Hey now, come on. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that it's it's. I'll I'll use it as an awkward segue into what you're saying about attentional control. Like basically, was wake the fuck up, Tim. Be aware of what's happening here in all facets of my life, and. You know, just from my own physical safety to what am I paying attention to? You know, how aware am I or am I just awake slumbering through like, you know, through life being caught up in my thoughts and allowing just things to go basically, you know, that default mode, you know, of the brain of, you know, having like, you know, 80,000 thoughts uh, a day, 79,000 of which I had the day before. So how do you talk to your players about that idea of attentional control is it inviting them to just be aware of of what's what they're thinking about and perhaps saying you know you got a choice in here where you're what you're going to pay attention to yeah that's where it starts but uh, it's a practice like in the especially in the climate that we are all immersed in now i don't think you stand a snowball's chance in hell of getting anywhere with it unless you actually have a a very deliberate meditation practice Agreed, hundred percent. You know, if you don't take care, so of just let me just kill further. So, Paul, is that something that you, in essence, advocate or invite your players to? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. What I was going to say is if you don't take care of your own psychology, all this technical stuff, and, and, you know, I've been talking to Paul since 2014, and there's all sorts of technique, but if you don't address your psychology, what it is you're afraid of, how much bullshit you're going to put up from yourself, then all the eyes up on the horizon, which are great things to, you know, there are little things you can do, breathing and such, but if if you're not aware of your psychology, it's hard to overcome your psychology. Oh yeah, they just suppress that just suppresses the symptoms. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and those are useful when 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 all else fails because everybody has a breaking point, you know, limit to what their capacity is. Use those little tricks to try and get you a little further than you would if you had things managed properly. So you you know you you need to have those in place. So, um, but at, at the end of the day, yeah, it's you know introspection to sit down and sit there. You know, what am I really afraid of, and is that real? Because again, if if I worry about what people think of me, back to the oh, point yeah. we're making earlier, then it's like, okay, why am I worried about that? Well, because I'm going to go home and beat the tar out of myself if mm-hmm. I if I do something embarrassing. It's like, so I'm not afraid of them. I'm afraid of what I'm going to do to myself. I can. I I, I was la- I was about to say this earlier. I'm laughing because once in a while, you know, yeah, like most, I think guys, I think would admit that you know the fucking idiot when you're a teenager you do stupid shit that you look look back on and you just wince and go oh my god and once in a while i think of something really stupid and embarrassing that i did when i was a kid and i'm like i go like this and i go like oh i just stop and go no 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 i'm not gonna do no why would i do that to myself it's over the people that i did it in front of probably don't even remember or care why am i doing that to myself and it's like that's what it is man (laughs) yeah i i have a whole book called things that i did that made me wince when i think of them Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> many, many. I, I should probably write my own book. It would be thicker than yours. I'll yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I once broke up with a girl. She found out we were breaking up because she came to my house and there was uh, boxes everywhere. <laughs> That's a true story. Oh, yeah. What a fucking dick, right? This is how we've been dating for about a year. This was in Calgary. And I was moving to California. And she came over to the house to visit. And I was like... Oh yeah, we should probably. We should. She's like, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, we should probably have a conversation." Anyway, um, as we we have to wrap up soon, there, doodles. But I'll tell you, man. Uh, always uh, we I, we learn so much, and and as far as repeating things, I mean, you know, it's taken me how long have I known you? Almost ten years now, and some of the things we very some of the things we talked about in our early sessions, even now, I think of them and I go, oh, "Yeah, you know that." Old doodles made sense there, but sometimes it takes a while to synthesize them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get the same. I sometimes I'll read something that I've read four years ago, and I'm reading, and it's like, God, I didn't see this when I read it the first time. Absolutely, it, it describes the reader more than the book itself. Yeah. Well, Paul. I think our awareness grows the more we revisit stuff. And yep. gosh, I'm so thick-headed; it takes me so long sometimes to get basic stuff drilled in, and then it's finally got. And then, like years later, kind of the old. You know, smack on the forehead. Oh, I get it. <laughs> Join the club. I'm, I'm yeah. with you. Paul's ability to share his knowledge is fun, simple, and understanding ways what makes him one of the best in sports psychology. He uses real-life examples to help the student receive the message, which I find very valuable. Uh, so say one of Paul's clients. You can check it out at Paul Doolan, D-E-W-L-A-N-D.com. And uh, always uh, one of our favorite uh, favorites to talk to. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. Good to see you, boys. Talk All right. soon. A, a true talk friend to you soon. of show. Yeah. Absolutely. He's in the Friend of Show Hall of Fame. Look at him. God, how do you not how do you not look at him and just love him? I can't. All right, doodles, <laughs> let yourself out. Tim and I gotta wrap this up. Are we uh, how much time do we have before you uh, have to go? A couple of minutes? Uh, a couple of minutes, yeah. yeah do we have yeah, time we to, to um, rush out of here? Well, no, but we got to thank our sponsors. I want to make sure we do that. That's right. Do you have any I, final I thoughts? Do you have that, final um, thoughts? No, I love having uh, Paul on because he articulates so well what are some of the key aspects of, of performance. He's, he just lays it out so nicely. Um, I'm a bit envious of, of his ability to do that. But... Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I love that phrase. He, I always come away, whenever Paul's on our show, I always come away with some interesting um, nuggets. I remember him saying, uh, I think it was a few years ago, that uh, professionals invest themselves in their preparation uh, for hitting a shot, whereas amateurs invest themselves in the result. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was huge in terms of my own understanding of, of, of where to place my attention. And today, uh, I love that phrase, when you find yourself going down the rabbit hole of your thoughts, going, and that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just so, there's, uh, and there was some great stuff. So I invite our our, uh, our audience members to, um, I would replay that interview with Paul twice to get all the wonderful stuff that was in it. Um, before we leave, let's thank uh, these people with this radio commercial. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver. It's distance. But there's actually two things. Distance and forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the all-new Stealth 2 with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. Wait, did you say forgiveness like far or forgiveness like forgiveness? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I'm hearing far. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Exactly. Rory gets it. The all-new TaylorMade Stealth 2. Learn more at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Also, thanks to our buddies at uh, WhoIsOscarBravo.com with these uh, amazing polos and StretchLab Toronto, StretchLab.com. Mr. O'Connor, you can uh, access him in a completely uh, legal way at uh, your Substack, which is awesome. What's it called again? T.O'Connor.Substack.com. And if that's too hard to remember, just go to O'ConnorGolf.ca. O'ConnorGolf.ca. And, of course, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. We are back uh, again next week. Uh, Before we almost... The season's almost over there, friend. You know, come Labor Day, uh, we're back to every couple of weeks again. It's hard to believe it's flown by. I know, I know. Here we are. I mean, it's going to be September in a couple of weeks. Whoa. Um, I'm looking forward to it, though. Lots of great fall golf in this area. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Coming in out of the rain, they hear the jazz go down. Competition. <laughs>